Welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business Podcast, where we explore the game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance and well-being in the workplace. If you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business, if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber, and if you want to be part of a revolution in human potential, then join us to discover the powerful resource that lives before our psychology Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. So today, another conversation lined up, and this time with someone who's relatively new on my radar, but I've been following some of his LinkedIn posts. We've had a chat, and I think he's got a really nice take on the world, and we've got what I think will be a really relevant topic lined up, which we'll tell you more about in a moment. But firstly, Stephen Locke, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Brilliant. So, Stephen, first of all, could you give listeners just a minute or two on your background and I guess how come, you know, we started talking? So just give people a bit of a flavour of you. Yeah, sure. So um, currently I'm working as a coach, um, executive, senior leadership coach, specialising really in purpose-driven individuals and purpose-driven organisations. But I guess my most recent career is working in the National Institute for Health Research, where I've had senior leadership roles there, which has um, exposed me to a lot of interesting ways of managing and leading, you know, leading across boundaries, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and my career started out in the software industry, so a little bit varied. Um, and I discovered you actually through um, your interview with Rupert Spira, which I think was about a year ago or something like that. And reached out because uh, I thought I was the only coach at that point that was trying to blend, blend these things together. And I discovered, actually, no, there's, there's quite a few. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and it's always lovely to speak to someone who uh, has got a, apologies for generalization here, everyone, a, a solid corporate background uh, who's then seen something different about the nature of who we are in reality and then wants to bring that back into that corporate arena which is sort of where our topic is going today so um because i think you can then go from the as i call it the profound from the practical and the practical to the profound um mm -hmm. because we don't want this this conversation to be airy fairy and not have any relevance quite the opposite um so that's lovely to have you on the show Stephen. thank you for your time uh so today's topic the one that we chatted about was if you look at how organizations have evolved or haven't <laughs> over the last few decades, it, it, the question is, you know, in the way that people lead and manage and the way the structures and processes are set up, is that still fit for purpose, particularly when you start to see the true nature of what a human being is, is potentially available to do? Mm -hmm. So, Stephen, I know this is a topic you are interested in. This is why we're talking about it. So do you want to just start the ball rolling with, with your take on that and we can just emerge from there? Yeah, sure. And then just to your point there about, you know, my my journey into this kind of thing, a, a little while ago, um, a friend of mine was at a dinner party and I wasn't there and there was somebody who'd never met me and he described me as a hippie in a suit. That was it. So, <laughs> well, I've been described as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the corporate and the spiritual there. So I've had that going for quite a while. So my interest in this, um, I've always been interested in improving, changing systems, changing things from within, always been uh, wanting to do something like that. But it really got going about five years ago when I was fortunate to spend some time at INSEAD Business School, had my eyes opened to... Um, 
the work of Frederick Laloux, who wrote a book called Reinventing Organizations, which I think the subtitle mm -hmm. of that is something about, you know, the next stage of human consciousness. Yeah. Now, at the time, my interest was in some of the structural stuff that was being pointed out there, which was a lot to do with non-hierarchical organizations, different ways of having conversations, different ways of leading, that kind of stuff. And I slightly missed the, you know, the, the next stage of human consciousness bit. I mean, I was, I was intrigued by it, but it went a little bit too far even for me. But I, try, I decided to try this stuff. I, I came back from Paris and, and had a go. So what I did in my own organization was to work with the, the team that I had, put a lot of these practices in place, you know, got rid squashed the hierarchy, different ways of making decisions, all of that kind of stuff. And through that process, I learned uh, a lot about why, why are we doing things the way that we do them anyway, uh, which I think is, is of interest. And really briefly, it helps to kind of just go back. Industrial Revolution, prior to that, mm -hmm. there weren't really any big organizations around. Most people worked in a small business, you might call it. You know, they, they worked on a small holding in a small shop or whatever. Maybe the church, maybe the army was big. And then we come and build these great big factories. And suddenly we have this huge need for unskilled labor. And we need to organize them. So this new class of people emerged called well, overseers to begin with, and then maybe managers and mm. leaders and that kind of stuff following later on. But a lot of the, the thinking from that period has stayed with us to till today. So, you know, some of the some of the, the terms of the words that we use. So we talk about managers having grip. That literally comes from a factory where the, the, the person in charge of the machine gripped the lever and pulled it <laughs> to make things happen. Yeah. And there was a mindset there, which started to be codified in the early 1900s, that people were like units in a machine. And that's how a lot of uh, early management theory developed, that you just, you, you had this machine called the factory, a machine called an organization full of parts called people. And without realizing it, we bring a lot of that thinking into organizations today, and we still have that hierarchy, we still have all of that. So most of us, that work in any kind of organization, that's all we've ever been exposed to. So we don't really see it any differently. Now, in my case, I had this awakening to the way, you know, you might be able to structure things and do things differently. And then a second one, which happened to me during during lockdown when, you know, we were all kind of stuck at home and went a bit deeper on the yoga and the meditation. And that's when I uh, discovered the work of Rupert Spearer, non-duality, non-dual thinking, and so on. And it made, well, it is sense, isn't it? I was say it made sense to me. Mm. <laughs> it revealed sense to me. It's maybe a different different way of putting it. And I found that profound sense of that peace with the world and understanding that, you know, there is, you know, when, once you realize that yourself can dissolve away and you then start to see the people around you differently, uh, I found I was able to bring that into my work as a leader and then subsequently as a coach as well. So, um, yeah, I get because there's a, there's a, there's a bit of background. Well, that, that's a great potted history of sort of the Industrial Revolution and of Stephen Locke there. So, um, I, I think that's really interesting, and it it, it feels to me, Stephen. I mean, I agree with you. There there are some organisations that are still visibly stuck in that command and control. Mm -hmm. um, Taylor McGregor quite model yeah and 
they sort of recognize that a bit and they think, oh, we need to loosen our grip, to use your phrase. Mm -hmm. But the way they loosen their grip is still in the same paradigm. It, it's, it's oh, I must empower people now. But mm -hmm. it's still with the idea of self and ego at the center, which needs protecting, controlling or managing. Mm -hmm. It's not a liberating. Yeah. Which, which is very different to an empowering. I mean, I think empowering is kind of command and control plus. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes reluctantly. Um, and then, but what we're talking about is something a little, little, not a little different, possibly a lot different. Yeah. Um, now, here's the interesting thing for me. I'd love to get your view on this. If you try and explain to people about this idea of liberating, that people have got a lot more potential, you don't need all the structures and the controls and the processes. Yet they haven't had the second insight that you had about the mm -hmm. nature of the reality in self. It's really quite difficult for them to see it. So that's why in my work, I start with the realization about the human nature first, mm -hmm. then look at what does that mean for your organizations, your structures? So well, what, what's your take on that? I, I love your approach and I, I, I think it's fantastic. Mine's slightly different. And I think um, I was thinking about this this morning, but well, why is that? Mm. There are clients on occasion we'll just talk about the coaching side there are clients who do come to me because they're aware you know some of the stuff that i share and talk about they're into, in, interested in the non-dual thinking side of it and we can do some early work there you know and that's great but for me that's actually relatively rare what they get is a sort of sense that hold on this guy this guy's there's something a bit funny about him i'm not quite sure what it is <laughs> but what i've realized is that i have um in a, in a certain kind of world, the credibility as somebody who has been quite a visible leader for quite a long time, who's saying something different. And, and I started to realize over the last couple of days when thinking about this podcast, is it, it's almost like, you know, a salesperson might talk about a funnel, you know, mm. that you, and, and I think I'm a little bit further up the funnel uh, of bringing people towards this understanding. And if um, the way that I sort of see my role is that, um, it's like a bridge that um, I spent so long in the in the pure kind of Taylor kind of uh, paradigm, and then quite a really long time um, in a period where I was doing, like I said, the halfway thing, doing the mm. empowering thing, doing that, and having some success. You know, it does it does liberate people. It liberates conversations. But it doesn't help people on that that next step, that next stage. Um, and right now, for me at the moment, I feel like what I can most usefully do in this in this world that we move in is to is to signpost people towards people like yourself, mm. you know, or Rupert or whoever it might be, towards that understanding. Um, but I give them a bit of confidence because mm. I can I can speak. <laughs> I can speak both languages and translate between the two. Yeah, making sense. Uh, it, it totally does. And and I, you know, to be fair, I do some of that as well myself mm -hmm. because you, you kind of have to, um, unless you've got someone who's truly, truly already horrible phrase here, but awake. Um, yeah, that you, you're going to have to meet people where they're at and 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 talk the corporate. Uh, and and I I actually quite enjoy that piece if mm -hmm. I know where I'm going to end up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so because it is it's because it, I think for, for me, anything about non-duality or spirituality that doesn't then come back into life is is a nice philosophical Sunday afternoon thing. But it, but it's not 
if we want people to see more about the power of what we're talking about, it's got to be every day. It's got to be democratized. It's got to be real world or all, yeah. all those sort of words. So I, I think it's incredibly powerful to do what you can do, which is sort of sit understanding both paradigms. Um, and, and I would I would agree with you. Um, so, so here's a question. What do you think it is? that and i often ask myself and other people this that makes it harder or stops people from seeing something that once they see it is like really quite obvious and they wonder why they didn't see it 10 years before <laughs> what, what, what's your take on that i think it's purely cultural mm -hmm. um i think it is that um uh, you know I, i'm not I don't specialize in history, take a, but I do take a bit of interest in the journey that our culture has taken and, com and, and comparing that to cultures in the East, say. Uh, and I heard a, a teacher some time ago saying that, you know, some, something you need to be aware of is the last four or 500 years, the West, broadly speaking, uh, has gone really deep on industry, gone really deep on structures and systems and processes. And, and you know, we can... We can fix anything that way. And maybe in the East, they've spent a bit more time exploring, um, you know, the spiritual side of life and understanding that. And that there's a there's a blend that's beginning to happen. We're beginning to learn from each other in a way that uh, we weren't able to at scale before. And mm -hmm. there's a, a, a really interesting situation there, I think, because I was, I was working with somebody just this week who... You know, to use that phrase, it's a terrible phrase, isn't it? But that awakened thing, probably on the cusp, mm. getting there. And when you're watching it happening, it's fascinating because I remember myself and think, well, I knew this didn't feel right. I knew it didn't feel natural, but nobody around me, nobody that I grew up with, nobody that ever spoke to me of these matters, you know, nobody discussed it with me. And now, I realise that actually I'm surrounded by people that could have helped me on this journey. Um, you know, I have a lovely friend. She said, it's really interesting. She said, I wondered what would have happened to you if you'd grown up in a spiritual tradition. And I actually think I'm quite glad that I didn't because I was able, you know, it's it's a shame to find it, you know, nearly 50 and you're beginning to find these things and to do something with them. But I, it also gives me an opportunity to explain them in a different way. And I, I picked back to myself just two or three years ago. I think, well, I might have been open to it, but would I have trusted it? Mm. Possibly not. So, you know, a guy, a hippie in a suit is quite helpful. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's just to help listeners who are tracking this, because um, the words here are so unhelpful, aren't they? Because mm. spiritual awake, whatever you mean, they are so loaded. Um, and, and I had no idea what spiritual really meant. Uh, and I still don't yeah. really. Um, and I think it's unhelpful. And and I, and I kind of contemplated it about 30 years ago and thought, no, not for me. But I didn't know what it was. And and it was only then in the last five, 10 years where someone said, oh, what you're doing is spiritual. I suppose, well, I suppose it is. But but I, th I think just to get clear for, for listeners what, what we mean by that um, in to take the language out of it, if we can, is... And uh, there's plenty of other podcasts that, that I've done about this is to see, to me, that, that one of the most amazing things to, to wake up to is what we are. And the flip side of that, what we aren't, 
Mm-hmm. Because we've all been brought up to think, well, I'm Piers, you're Stephen, I'm an entity, I, I see, hear, feel, I'm my body, mind, that's what I am. Mm-hmm. And there's a world out there and I perceive that and I'm lucky I can have some good thoughts about it or some bad thoughts about it or whatever it is. Uh, and it kind of starts when I'm born and it finishes uh, when I die. And um, I might have some peak experiences along the way and I might have some crappy ones along the way. But that's me. That's that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's seven billion of people like me running around. Um, and to recognize that that's not what I am. I mean, at one level, of course, it is. Yeah. Um, but to recognize that's not what I am and that that is a useful utilitarian way of operating in the world. But fundamentally, it's limiting. And that my true nature is something way more unshackled and unlimited and full of potential love, compassion, you know, and, and all those things is, you know, it, it, is a, is an amazing thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only for what it means for me, me, but also for the rest of uh, the planet and humanity. So that, that's all I mean when I sort of talk about spirituality. I say all I mean. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of ritual and regime and protocol and things about spirituality, as yeah. there are in other things. But but that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about the nature of seeing what we are, and then the implications for that for everything in life, including our co- our conversation in in business. Because, I mean, what, what have you just to get a bit more practical for people? What mm-hmm. have you noticed for yourself and maybe for your clients? that when they start to have some of these realizations, what seems to happen to how they operate at work and in their mm. business? Have you got any nice little tidbits, examples you can give us? Yeah, I'll, 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 st- I'll start with myself, actually. Mm-hmm. So, and let me just take a step back. So getting to the point where I thought, well, there's different ways to organize, you know, and, and did that, experimented with that, and it, it was really, really interesting. But I still was invested in that because it was my idea. Uh, is it yeah. what I mean? Good spot, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I felt responsible if it wasn't working. I felt some pride if it did, but all of those kinds of things, you know? And it got attention, you know, and it did on a, on a purely functional level. It, it worked, you know? It did make us... Um, able to do things. The, the team that I was managing a few years ago did a really significant job in helping the COVID response in research, you know, and we we were able to move really fast and do really good stuff. But it's still all, there's a lot of ego in there, you know, even though we're doing it in a slightly different way. But now, since I, I still work, uh, uh, you know, part of the time with the same people, but my the way I step into that space is entirely different. I am alert to much more that's in the room. I'm alert to uh, the people. I, I'm very alert to the things like criticism that might come my way. You know, it's a very very tangible thing. You know, if you're in a corporate job, you can wake up any morning and your inbox has got that thing in it. That he's going to ruin your day, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that thing from the boss or the customer or whoever it was. And you get that flood, that you? you get that thing that happens to you and you're a little bit overwhelmed. Now, I check in on that, you know, straight away. And it's an experience like any other experience. Now, I'm not 
<laughs> I don't live. I, I'm not. I'm not perfect. I don't. I don't live in this. Um, in this mindset permanently. So I will. I will be triggered into a different response. But then I can. I can think it through. I can think. Well, hold on a minute. No, 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 no. You're saying things wrong. You know, this is not the way things really are. And then I'm more available, more open, um, more creative, more willing to support other people, more willing to help, more willing to step into spaces where they might have been uncomfortable before. And what happens if you wanted to bring it back to a purely functional level is mm. everything flows better. Mm -hmm. Everything actually does work better. You do different things. But I think maybe to go back to your previous point, why don't people step into this? You know, why don't, I think there's a fear that you lose something, you know, that you lose control or you lose the capacity to get things done or whatever it might be. But no, 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 no. Not at all. It just takes on a different quality and you're able to bring more into it. So things that are, you know, current conversations at the moment, things about the environment or or what it might be, you know, really, really important things. You can stop those being just a functional thing that's on a meeting agenda and you, you can absorb them because everything is there all of the time. And now, now I feel like I'm wondering. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, there's, the a, there's a lot in what you said, Stephen. I, I just want to pick up on one thing I think mm -hmm. is great and then come back to the other piece because – you were, you were saying that people might, why people don't necessarily always jump into this is because they might fear they lose something. And I think that's a really, really good point because a lot of us were brought up, me included, to think that the reason I'm managed to be where I am in life, which is okay, I'm, I'm alive, I'm surviving and even thriving, right, mm -hmm. is because of my my smarts, my effort, my willpower, my mental capacity to be able to think things through and mm -hmm. grind and and you know, being on the ball and and all that stuff. And and the fact that I've been alert to what's going on and haven't just wafted around the place like like a leaf in the wind. Mm. Um, that's what we, it looks like to our self-mind narrative of why we've been okay and got to where we've got to and responsibility and duty and all those things. So when we get, when the self, we don't even really realize this is happening, gets a whiff that that might be, not as important as we thought or even under threat it yeah. kicks back and goes yeah but i don't want to be a leaf in the wind I, I i you know i need to push forward i i need to get to the other side wherever that is so if you halfway hear this you get stuck in this you know um what would happen i would just become more relaxed but i would be really not very effective yeah. You know, and they like the bit of being more relaxed, but they don't like the idea of not being effective. Now, what you've pointed to and, and, and you know, anyone who's been through this process will know. You don't lose that get up and go and the ability to operate in the world. Actually, you get better at it. Yeah. Right. Um, because you sail, not row. Mm -hmm. And your ability to be resilient, to be creative, to be inspirational, to be to feel inspired, to sit, to bounce forward goes up. Mm -hmm. And you get to feel more relaxed and at ease. I mean, it's 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 too good to be true. I think for some people, I, I do think that's another consideration. I think some people think, really, all of yeah. that, you know. Um, so just it's, it's losing something. I think it's a really interesting thing because the thing that we think we're losing is the thing that doesn't want to lose. Yeah, but we don't need that. <laughs> yeah, 
I think one of the, you know, one of the great things that, that made this become resonant for me was that, that, that understanding about, you know, uh, I'm going to use the word happiness, but I probably mean contentment, really. Mm -hmm. where, does, where does that live? Where is it? And we think, I'll be as guilty of this as anybody, you know, we think it's in, if I get this next job, or I get a certain salary, or I get a car, or whatever it might be, or, you know, we were just talking about running before, and if I can run a certain distance or a certain speed or whatever, then that will make me happy. And we think that that contentment, that happiness lives in that object or that experience or that attainment or that status or whatever it might be. And we get there and often there is that moment, of, oh, it's a beautiful car and I'm going to go out for a drive and it's lovely. And you come back and it's quite as shiny as it was. You know, you yeah. polish it a little bit and then within a week, you know, okay, it's still a beautiful car, but it's faded, it's gone. But we don't question what's going on there, what is that? And the, the part of this understanding that I think really got me going was to realize that, well, the happiness or the contentment, whatever that is, is inside me. And it's it's there all the time, or it's in, it's available to me at any moment. There's a, probably a better way of putting it. And it's not in that object. It's just possibly that, you know, briefly it drew a bit more of that out of me or made me more aware of it. Um, and once I started to realize, well, hold on a minute, then that's not the case. My next fear was, oh, mm. if that's not the case, then I won't strive for anything. You know, I won't. <laughs> and the opposite has been the case. You know, since I got uh, this understanding, I have, you know, <laughs> you know, achieved, uh, you know, running a really long way that I didn't think was possible. I've launched a business. I've done all sorts of things and had another job. I have four children. I have spent more time with them. I have, you know, been a more available for friends and colleagues, you know, all of that, everything. There's there's more abundance of everything. And I'm still setting myself goals, but I am doing it with an intention to explore, just to to, to mm. see what what is this experience? What is it? And enjoy it. And, and what I'm finding is that so you get you get more of those sort of like measures of success but i'm not really very invested in them it, it mm. doesn't matter it's it, now it's, isn't, isn't that fascinating and <laughs> i because you know what i'm hearing you say Stephen, is, is you're 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 enjoying the journey not really <laughs> the destinations whatever but the measures of success that used to probably be a destination are just coming along anyway yeah now if an alien was listening to this conversation about the human condition they'd go oh well, that's interesting. So why are they all running around striving in the rat race and on the hamster wheel if it seems to work a different way? And, and that's, you know, it's just another way of saying what we were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. So or, so if we kind of summarize it now, just to sort of take stock and then go forward from there, we've got organizations that have grown up in a different era that saw people as kind of carbon units or something like, like a machine to be yeah. used, right? We, and then these modern businesses are trying to use it in the same way, or they've slightly evolved, but they're still really clinging on to the idea of self as the epicenter mm -hmm. and then trying to just empower people. Um, we've got culturally that there's been a, what I would call a deification of the ego over the last few decades, where it's all about me, me, you know, mm -hmm. social media, me, how can I look good? How can I do this? Um, humility seems to have disappeared or, or is a fake woke humility. Yeah. Um, 
and then the self being put center stage and then some so you put that what's going on in society and culture you put what's going on in organizations and, and you get to where we got to now on the other side there's a fascinating thing also happening that you and i are seeing uh, admittedly it's our own echo chamber at one level um but as you said i'm just seeing more and more people is mm. there's people going hmm is this it? This can't be re really right. That there's an itchiness. It's like a, uh, hang on a minute. And it often doesn't take much seeing in this direction for people to go, wow, there is a different way. There's something about that. Now, what gets fascinating for me is they can see a bit of that. They can get a taste of that. They can breathe it in and go, ah. and then they get on that kind of tipping point going, wow, but if I went all the way down there, what would I do? Quit my job and become a hippie? What would I do? You know, because they've half seen it, not all seen it. Yes. Right. So then they might pop back the other way to the old paradigm and go, oh, I wasn't so bad anyway. You know, mm -hmm. I'll forget about that stuff kind of thing. So they sort of semi see a wake up. They get an inkling of a wake up and then pop back to their old clothes. Yeah. And then some people like yourself uh, and, and like myself would, for whatever reason, sort of fall over the other side and go, wow, it's brilliant here. Swim around in it. It's a bit odd for a while. There's a limbification. But then yeah. you're like, oh, no, it all works. Oh, beautiful. And then we're saying to everyone else, come over here. It's <laughs> brilliant. And yeah. actually, you were here a few decades ago when you were one years old, two years old. So you've been mm -hmm. here anyway. It's just, you know, you're now an adult. So, <laughs> so <laughs> go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation about organizations. I, I guess what you and I are both doing is tapping people on the shoulder in organizations and goes, there's a different way, mm -hmm. right? And that will lead to different ways of structures and processes and whatever. But that trying to do those different structures and processes without having the aha about the self is going to be hard work and probably not be very sustainable. Yeah, I agree. Um, might be, there's a, I'm really fascinated by an organization in the Netherlands called, called Burtzorg, which is... Um, B-W-R-T-Z-O-R-G, I believe, if my spelling's correct. Mm -hmm. And it's a healthcare organization. So think um, doing home care. So nurses going out to people's houses and, and doing that. And it was founded by a really inspirational uh, man and his wife. And his name has gone out of my head. Uh, talk back to me in a moment. Um, and this is going to be really interesting for your listeners, I think, because you, you this fear of... What, what would happen, you know, would you go off and be a hippie and sit on the beach and, you know, whatever. Now, I don't know uh, what the inspiration was there, but the organisation that's been created is fascinating. So it started with a group of nurses who came together. I think there's only six or eight of them. Uh, and they decided that they could do things in a different way. And they didn't want to be pushed around by people on computers Mm. somewhere else they wanted to care for people so they formed a group of like a very small team and they started to work in one place and they won some business to go and do that from the local health authority or, or however it worked in the netherlands and then from that they created another team that worked in another community and then another and another and another until today they have about sixteen thousand people all running these small little teams and they don't have any managers at all in this organization. They have a team of coaches who are available to these um, groups of people who come together to support their community. And right, it sounds wonderful. It you know, sounds really, really nice, but does it work? Well, 
they have the, the best health outcomes of any organization in the Netherlands and, and probably in Europe. They are the most cost effective and they have the best st staff satisfaction because what they're doing is, and I don't know if they'd express it in the terms of, that you do, but when you take it to an organizational level and to refer back to that, you know, the next stage of human consciousness, part of this, part of this realization is we are deeply interconnected. <laughs> and if you can tap into that and go with that and, and your phrase about, you know, sailing with it instead of against it, you know, instead of trying to build something that stops you know, stops the waves go no come on let's let's go with them then you can create incredible organizations and that's just just one example there are others around the world but i think that's a nice one because the, the hard facts point to well this is a very successful business yes i mean i mean that's a great example mm. um where it's worked at a systemic level and i think even for the people in organizations now you've probably experienced pockets of this Yes. Right. So a time when a team or um, a project team was just in flow and things just got done. Mm. Wowzers. And then other time it didn't. And you're like, oh, so I, I work with a, I won't name them, but a very big charity. And, and they had people that worked in head office and they had people worked in the field when there was need and crisis. And the difference between the people that worked in the in, in the middle of the drama, in the middle of the crisis, who were just told to get on with it and fix the the horrible thing that was happening, the tragedy of the crisis and the way they could just be self-expressed to do versus mm -hmm. what happened in head office with all the bureaucracy and all the protocols blah, 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 it was chalk and cheese. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now, you know, it, it was sort of put under the guise well, necessity breeds innovation in the face of crisis. The same happened in COVID. Some people mm -hmm. were very nimble. Like, like, I mean, you said that very yeah, nimble yeah. on their feet, got I stuff done. That. Boom, 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 boom. Now, what we're saying is that doesn't have to be just in crisis or at, at the sharp <laughs> end, pointy end. You know, the organization you're talking about in the Dutch organization there. You know, it, how about if we all run it like that? Or another little pocket where you can see this is people that do their own startups, right? Mm -hmm. And they get two or three people together and they're just in flow. They are, they are smashing it. They're about to be disruptive. And they're doing really well. And then entrepreneurial going for it. And then they hit this bit where... I mean, it's called growing pains, teething pains, you know, scaling mm. up. Uh, admittedly, there are some structural things that need to happen when you've got more than a few people. But something also happens in the nature of their attitude to risk, to human compassion, to mm -hmm. resilience. That seems to get sucked out of them. And the number of entrepreneurs I talk to go, I've lost my mojo. Mm -hmm. A year ago, I was just on fire with this. I was bum, 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 bum. So what we can start to see that this it's all within all of us this now it works really well when the whole system oh, yeah. turns on because otherwise you just get a pocket here a pocket there um and that's what we were saying at the beginning but that takes some uh i was doing a testimonial interview the other day with, with someone he, he said i said well why is it not having more he goes it takes courage um and, and the way he was defining courage was is is to go with what you know is right <laughs> <laughs> which which you know it, it's not like i need to learn something new i he said to me i, I kind of knew this was right but i had to get over myself get over myself get around myself see through mm -hmm. myself to go there so i think so so am i right in saying let me ask you this this, this question uh stephen if you were to i know you're coaching now and helping others mm -hmm. but if you were to run your own business now let's say someone gave you a million quid and said go yeah. for it 
how would you how, what kind of structures and process would you put into your business i know Ooh. it might depend on the nature of it but yeah let, let's play the game just just for a minute what would you do that's a really 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 good question um i answer it in a slightly odd way so i go for it what, yes. you know this thing i did about saying if you project forward and say my happiness is in x y and z i think something else happens in organizations particularly with like startups as well is that you go success is in a certain you know number of shareholders or it's a certain share price or it's a certain profit or it's a certain scale or whatever so you're invested in that future so the the task at hand really is to say no 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 no. what we want to do is to, to enjoy the journey and see what happens and that is our purpose there is nothing else only this and we will see where it leads us now i trust so if to, to your specific question i think I would have to, there's a couple of tactical things. So I've worked with this for quite a few years and realizing that, oh, sorry, is it not my realization, but you know, the idea of the two pizza rule, or the, the IKEA table rule, you know, where you, if you more than eight people in a group, you need, you can't know enough about what each other's doing and you need to start putting structures in place. Yes. So on a really simple level, what I do is if a meeting's got more than, six or eight people in it there's too many yeah so split it you know if the team's got more than that, split it so that's the way that i would be looking to do things i'd be saying well you know in the beginning we've got two three if we're going to get to eight then actually maybe we need two teams and we need to do some different things and then we need to have conversations about just how we stay in touch with one another um but not get too fixed on the goal you know maybe have shorter term things and check in on other stuff like are we happy? Are we enjoying this? Are we in flow? Is it, you know, and then just talk about those things, make those what you, you know, if you're going to have a weekly stand up or whatever it is, talk about those issues. Don't talk about, did we, you know, hit a certain profit or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm aware that that sounds like impossible if you, you know, if you've got this kind of shareholder perspective where you must, you must do that. But I think, I think actually that, that, is can be a, a problem as well that they the need to satisfy shareholders and their expectations and, and you know we need to get that understanding to them as well um yes. but there are you know there are other ways of organizing there's other ways of doing things i don't want to sound like i'm critical of that coal model entirely i just think it puts incentives in place and a bit of distance between the people who might be in that flow state and doing things that would be productive and would make profit uh, and the people, you know, maybe somewhere else in a different country who are investing in it. You know, I think we break yeah, I, well. I think that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I think what you're saying and the way I describe it is that that when you you know when you're aligned to that way, profit becomes a symptom. Yes, you know, Absolutely. rather than the goal. Now, some people go, well, without having a goal, surely we wouldn't make any. Well, no, because in in you have to have an overall purpose of what you're trying to do. Either you're a for-profit or you're not for-profit. So mm -hmm. that being established, checking in on people's level of quality of mind or aperture, which in my language is saying what you're saying, mm -hmm. that's the only thing you check in on because everything else comes from that. Yes. Um, now, there needs to be a little bit of alignment with your stakeholders and your sponsors to go, well, what were you expecting? Now, mm -hmm. it, as long as you start off in the right place together and you don't become di uh, divergent on that, Yeah they should be tracking the same metric as you, right? Absolutely. You know, yeah. and an investor, and the number of times I've seen it with scale up, you know, private equities or whatever, 
they, they start in the right place. Then they, after 18 months, they get nervous. So they then helicopter someone in to start to micromanage the business, which sucks the, the joy and the yeah. aperture out of the operational team. And before I know it, the thing they were f- afraid of has happened. Yeah. They don't realize their, their part in that. <laughs> yeah. they, 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 they can't see that because you know, all they think is, well, if it's not going right, we'd, we'd dive in and micromanage. So I think there's a whole, when it comes to purpose-led investing or, yeah. or investors, they have to see it as well. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get that contradiction and that tug, tug mm-hmm. of war. So, okay. So, Stephen, if, if just to sort of maybe try and bring this to a, a conclusion or a succinctness or put a bow on it, mm-hmm. t- two questions. It might have exactly the same answer. If you were giving some advice to a new a coach now, what mm-hmm. would you say? And if you were giving advice to a business leader now, just the 30-second version, what would you say? It's start with your values, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, and the reason I say that is because I think um I do work directly in this space, do go, you know, down the non-dual path and, and help people to do that. But most people are not quite ready there. So I tend to get there in session two or session three. Not okay, yeah. So I start with values and go really deep on that because I think when people question that and you help them to do it and they come back with a list of deeply held values or principles about what they believe in life and then you say, well, let's work from there, then what happens is you actually unlock a lot of these things you don't maybe get the kind of, I know we hate the word, but you know, the, the awakening part. Yeah. You create the conditions where they're ready for that. Um, uh-huh. and, and what I find myself is that, you know, if you are living true to the values that you are clear on in your own mind, then loads of micro decisions become easier. You know, and, you, know you know what to do in a moment because you're very clear about your values. And then that, you know, like I say, just creates the conditions, makes it a little bit easier to, to go down this path. Mm. It's interesting you say that because when I was coaching, you know, uh, probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, I would do a lot of work around values and I really mm. enjoyed the conversation. And and then I was reflecting as I sort of evolved into this way, well, what's the role of values in that? And and what, it, what I started to see is the emergent nature of values right so so you know you said all oh, little decisions have become easier to make yeah um I, I think when you are seamlessly operating from values there's an obviousness to what to say yes to and what to say no to it's just like oh yeah mm-hmm. right now if you reverse engineer that you can get oh because it fits in my value of fairness or my value of contributing to society yeah. you, you, the, the, the conceptual mind can reverse engineer that mm-hmm. and therefore the idea that it comes, so I think, so I think values are very important as long as you know which way around it comes, <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So the the thingification, the conceptualization, the labeling of the value is what the conceptual mind talks about when it's rationalizing why something happened in flow and obviousness. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And what I'm talking about actually is, well, you know, don't you? Um, if you've not experienced it, when you're in a coaching conversation, and somebody holds that space for you, and you I'm sure you've been through coaching, I've been coached, you know, and you're in that space. If the person that's that's holding that for you is also guiding you subtly in this direction, 
then those values are not going to be hallmarks values, no criticism to hallmark, but they're not going to be things picked off post-it notes. They are going to be tapping into right. everything that we're talking about. Right. And if it's okay. that, then you can start to act in a different way. And, and you can't really explain it. And so that's how you get in there. It sounds that's, like that's your sort yeah. of, um, that's your kind of, uh, the metaphor that's popping in my head is that when, when you know, in the Star Wars, when the Death Shard shield goes up and you go underneath, you know, that that's how you're getting in <laughs> exactly. via that conversation. <laughs> yeah. And because of what you're pointing to underneath that, if you like, and the space you're holding, mm. that becomes the vehicle for the conversation for them to have the, the yes. let's say, the more upstream conversation about the nature itself. Well, that's fascinating. That's a really interesting way of, Going just like that. Quickly, yeah. what, what tends to happen, I find as well, is you know, you know, pure coaching, you're not advice giving, are you? You are yeah. Yeah, that's weird. However, what happens over and over and over again with this approach is uh, you know, people want to work with me because they, you know, either it's a credibility thing or it's to do with this there's something slightly left field about this guy who's coached, but he's not quite like the other ones, you know. What is it? One of those two ways in, and then at some point, they start to realize that they are settling into themselves and they are getting more comfortable with themselves. And then they turn it back on me and they go, how do you do this? Mm. And that's when the door is open. Nice. I think that's such a neat way of describing it, the way you just said that, because <laughs> um, people start to get a little reflective to start with because of where yeah. you're pointing them. And then they in that reflective place, they're more open for new ideas to be first fertile for them. So yeah. I, 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 I totally get that. Um, yeah, neat, very neat. So Stephen, we, we sort of got to the end of, of time, but I, I want to um, suggest, and I'm, I'm assuming you'd be open for this, that if, if I put your details in the show notes and everything, if anyone wants to check out what you talk mm -hmm. about on LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. And I know you, you're a really great, prolific, regular contributor to things like that. So plenty of stuff for people to get curious about and oh okay um that might start getting people to ask uh, a different quality of question about that to to let's call it the norm we, are you open for people to contact you and things? absolutely yeah 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 i'm always happy to talk you know um you know one of my stock phrases is everything's connected so you know <laughs> let's just yeah. see what connections it brings it's fine yeah. i'd love to hear from people and and you know serendipity and synchronicity is is how things happen. Mm -hmm. You know that's why we're talking. Exactly. Um, yes. So who knows exactly what will happen? As we as we said, listeners, is this is never a linear thing. Just no. sit with it, pl play back what works for you, and then just see where you go. So Stephen, a, a big thank you for me for giving up a bit of your day to come and chat. Um, I think there's been some nice little nuggets and gems in there that I hope uh, people get curious about. So thank you so much for um, for coming on. No, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Brilliant. Well, listeners, uh, as usual, have fun being curious and check you next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun being curious. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun 
being curious.